If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to take it and turn it over to the book, 1 Peter chapter 3. If anything, the first word of our passage today conveys to us that Peter really was a preacher. Because 1 Peter has five chapters, and here we are at the beginning of chapter 3, and you know what Peter says? Finally, in conclusion, one last thing, except we're not even halfway done. Peter's a preacher. I thought that would be funnier. So finally, I'm going to move on to my, my points. So I have some good news and some bad news for you as we begin. The good news, we hung a clock in here finally. finally. The bad news is it says that it's um, 5 till 10 right now. Apparently we didn't set it before we hung it. So I got time, people. Time to kill. We'll be done when... I'm just kidding. Okay. I'm going to begin with a retraction that serves as an introduction. You know, I don't know how many preachers you've known well, so let me let you inside of a preacher's psyche. Sunday afternoon and Sunday night and all day Monday, dark, dark places. Filled with what I should have said and what I wish I would have said and I wish I would have crafted that sentence a little bit differently and oh my goodness, I left that out? That, that's, that's not good. And so last Sunday and Monday, I was filled with frustration with myself because I left this one point out and I hope it's going to serve as a bridge into our sermon today. Last Sunday's sermon ended in chapter 3, verse 7, with a call for husbands to live with their wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. And there was this huge exhortation to be compassionate and kind and loving to your wife where she is. And I think all the women heard that as a big amen, right? Amen? Yeah? All right. But here's what I failed to say last week that I want to make very, very clear. Like you manly men that like to kill things with your hands. That wish you were still 18 so you could tackle somebody in full body armor and taunt them on the ground. Like, like you manly men. This vision of biblical love is not sissy Christianity. This vision of biblical love is very, very masculine. Jesus is our model. Jesus came and sacrificed everything and faced death and torture and punishment because He wanted to love His people and purchase their salvation. The love that the Bible talks about is not Valentine's pink heart, put your manliness card at the door kind of stuff. It is sacrifice for the good of others. It is I will stop at no end to love other people and seek their eternal good. Last week, Peter called husbands to live like that toward their wives. This week, Peter's going to call the entire church to live like that toward one another and toward the world. Basically, what Peter's saying is be filled with love in such a way that it be displayed in what you say, what you do, how you live, and how you govern your days. And when I say be filled with love, men, do not shut me out. Because the love that we're talking about is a self-sacrificial commitment to the eternal good of others. 
A self-sacrificial disposition to want and seek and pursue the eternal good of others. And Jesus is our model here. And Peter says those of us who know Christ will evidence such love within the church and without. We'll evidence such love toward one another and we'll even evidence such love toward those who hate us and persecute us and want to take us out. What Peter's saying here in three words is love on display. He's saying to the church, if you know Christ, then display the love of Christ, the self-sacrificial commitment to the eternal good of others in the way that you live and move and relate to the world. That's what Peter's saying. So today, friends, I'm going after your heart. I'm going after your disposition. I'm going after those grumbling words that never come out, but they bubble up inside of you and they affect the way that you relate to others. I want to challenge and speak to the way we think about one another and what it means to be the body of Christ. And beyond that, I want to speak to and challenge what it means to think about those who hate us and persecute us and want to stamp us out. On both occasions, Peter, speaking through the Holy Spirit, upon the authority of God Himself, speaking God's very Word, says, choose love. Choose blessing. Choose honor. So, that's our main point. Peter is interested to shape the disposition of Christians toward one another. Let it be love displayed. And Peter is interested to shape the disposition of Christians toward the world, toward those outside, toward those who are not Christians. Not only those who are not Christians, but those who are hostily not Christian. And you know what he says? Love, bless, care for, honor. So I think Peter knows something. This is what he knows. What I think about you when you walk out that door and it shuts affects the way I relate to you. What I think about you when you get in your car and drive off affects the way that I pray for you and the way that I speak to you and the way that I speak about you and the way that I care for you or don't care for you and how much I carry your burdens or don't carry your burdens. Right? You know that's true. And he's saying the same thing about you. And so Peter is not really so much looking for a set of behaviors as much as he's calling for a gospel heart filled with the right dispositions toward one another because those dispositions shape the way that we live. So I could stand up here and parrot on love one another, 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 and the biggest barrier to us loving one another is the hardness, staleness, coldness of our hearts and our desire to erect walls toward those that we like most and push everyone else out. And I can stand up here and say, love your enemies, love your enemies, love your enemies, love your enemies, love your enemies. enemies." And the biggest barrier toward us loving our enemies is us hating the fact that they're inconveniencing us and they're making our lives difficult because we live in the suburbs and we worship ease and awesomeness and simplicity and getting what we want. 
So the issue is not what we ought to do. The issue is an issue of the heart. What do we think? How do we relate? What do we say? How do we pray? Do we really care? And I think Peter's about to do a full-on assault to the heart. So welcome to the tension, friends. I'm sufficiently convicted this morning, and I hope you will be too in about 30 minutes. Or 22. So is that what Peter's saying? First point. Love. I defined this a minute ago, let me say it again. Love, as I'm using the word today, is a willful disposition to desire and pursue the eternal best for another person. While love begins internally, it will rightfully work itself outward into action and word. So look at what Peter says. Let me say that one more time. Love is a willful disposition to desire and pursue the eternal best for another person. While love begins internally, it will rightfully work itself outward into action and word. I feel like the word love is a summary disposition for all the commands that are in this passage. So look, look with me at chapter 3, verse 8. All of you, do you know what that means? If you study the linguistic origins of the Greek word and tie it into the Aramaic, do you know what all of you means? If you belong to Jesus, quiet your mouth and listen. I'm talking to you. That's what it means. All of you. So go ahead and write that down in your note-taking device. Peter's talking to me. Listen to what he says. Have unity of mind, sympathy, Brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Don't worry, we'll come back and define those in a minute. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Bless to seek the eternal good of another. For to this you were called. Now, if you write in your Bible, underline that. For to this you were called. Do you hear that? If you know Jesus, the will of God for you is to be a blessing to others inside and outside of the faith community. It doesn't say the special Christians that have the spiritual gift of blessing. It doesn't say the leaders. It doesn't say the really good Christians. It says all of you were called to this, to bless others. That's what I'm calling love. A willful disposition to desire and pursue the eternal best for another. Verse 8 is focused on the church. Be determined to love one another well. Verse 9 is focused outside the church. Be determined to love the world and your enemies well. This is God's calling on you. For to this you were called. And this has been 
the way that God's people have worked from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now the Lord said to Abram, who later his name would be changed to Abraham, who became the father of the Jewish people, who from whom and from his line came Jesus, the Messiah, our Savior. And this is how God called Abraham. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Do you hear that? God blesses, God saves, He does so for a purpose that we would be a blessing to God's world. It's our calling. Peter's simply taking Genesis 12, 1 and 2, and he's applying it to the faith community. If you're in Christ, it's the will and the purpose of God that your life would be a blessing to others and a blessing to the world because this is why God has poured His blessing out upon you. There's no wiggle room here. This is what God wants from us, that we would bless, that we would love, that we would have a willful disposition to desire and pursue the eternal best for others. That's what it means to love. Y'all want to deal with some hard passages for a minute? Sound like fun? Get to the thorny stuff? So what about that phrase that you may obtain a blessing? And what about that verse 12? For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So in this, Peter's quoting Psalm 34. Psalm 34, verses 12-16. through 16. Is David the psalmist? Is Peter? Is the Bible saying that we earn the eternal blessing of God by being a blessing to others? No. He is not. What is being said is that those who have received the blessing of God, remember, he's writing to the church. He's writing to the faith community. He's writing to those who have been promised that they have returned to the shepherd and overseer of their souls. Chapter 2, verse 25. He's writing to those that he's promised that Christ has borne our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. Chapter 2, verse 24. He's writing to say, Jesus saves, Jesus blesses, Jesus restores. The blessing comes by faith, but the fruit of God's blessing in us, the fruit of God's love in us, is that love pours out of us. The fruit of God's blessing in us is that blessing of others pours out of us. And what Peter is saying is, you don't have to repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but you can bless those who are evil to you. You can bless those who revile you because you will obtain a blessing forever. Not only that, but the blessing of God is upon His people now. We don't have to repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling because we know that Christ is with us. 
And if I respond to evil with goodness and holiness, and I respond to reviling with love, I know that my reward comes from God and God alone. And not only will He bless me in eternity, but He will be with me now. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And He hears their prayers. What that is telling us is God is with us and helps us and blesses us and gives us His blessing as we seek to walk in His ways. The good news of the Bible is that what God desires and what I need are the same. The good news of the Bible is that what God calls for and what's best for me is the same. The good news of the Bible is that every command in the Scripture is actually best for God's people. It's best. We don't have to get all tied up in that. But no, Peter's not saying love to earn God's love, but he's saying love because you've been loved. He's not saying blessed to earn God's blessing. He's saying blessed because you've been hashtag blessed. In the biblical way and not the silly way. But the bottom line is, what Peter is saying is the gospel of Jesus bears fruit in our dispositions, in our words, in our actions, and in our thoughts. So I'm glad if you're here today and you're being nice and kind. That's good. All in favor say amen. Amen. But God's concerned about the anger in your heart right now toward another brother or sister in this room right now. I'm glad that you're turning the other cheek. Jesus said to do that. But God's concerned about your unwillingness to forgive in your heart right now toward a brother or sister in this room. If you don't like me, I'm glad that you're not standing up, throwing things, and arguing with me right now. I'm for that. We can talk later. But, God's concerned about what's going on in your heart. Why do you not like me? And I use that as an example because I don't think we have any Jamie strife right now. If we do, again, we can talk later. But you see, Peter's going below the surface here. He's going to the uncomfortable place. He's going to the place of what we think and what we harbor and what we chew on and what we wrestle with while we stare at the ceiling in the darkness in the middle of the night, counting the number of times the ceiling fan goes around. That's what Peter's speaking to. Because Peter knows that what goes on in there affects how we live and gospel fruit begins with what goes on in there. So what does he say? Second point. He says, love one another. Love one another. Again, I say love, you think Valentine's Day, so I'm going to keep repeating it. What he's saying is, within the body of Christ, within the church, have a willful disposition to desire and pursue the eternal best for another person. So in Verse 8, when he says, finally, all of you, what he's saying is, I'm speaking to the whole church. 
I'm speaking to every single one of you. And the commands that are about to come are for all of you. Why is he saying that? Well, if you go back in chapter 2, he spoke to slaves for a minute. Then he spoke He spoke to subjects under human institution for a minute. Then he spoke to wives. And then he spoke to husbands. And now he's saying, but hey, right here, I'm speaking to every single one of you. And here's the command. Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. If you look at that closely, These are all internally focused. They're focused within the faith community. Brotherly love. You can only have brotherly love with whom? Your brothers. Your sisters. Right? So he's speaking inside the community. He's saying, have single-mindedness. You can only have single-mindedness with people who believe believe the things you believe, follow the authorities that you follow, worship the Lord that you lord, Worship the Lord that you worship and seek to serve the Lord that you seek to serve. Peter is speaking inside the faith community right here in verse 8. He's going at our dispositions toward one another. So let's walk through them. Unity of mind. It means to have a singularity, a solidarity in truth, lordship, purpose, and direction. Have singularity in truth, Lordship, purpose, and direction. Our truth is revealed in the Scripture. Our Lord is Jesus. Our purpose is to build the kingdom of God. And our direction is to put one step in front of another to do whatever is necessary to build God's kingdom. Peter says, have unity of mind. Want that above all else. It says have sympathy. Sympathy is not here in the South. Oh, bless your heart. If you're not from the South, that's not a good thing to have somebody say to you. Sympathy is caring about the needs. I'm borrowing this from a, a man named Tom Schreiner. Sympathy is caring about the needs, joy, and sorrows of another. End quote. Jamie adds, the ability to understand where others are and why they don't do everything exactly like I would. Sympathy is not hurling stones, but trying to enter into the crisis, the strife, the hurting, and the pain and care about what's going on there. Peter calls us to sympathy. By the way, can I just do a little tangent because I want to? It doesn't say empathy. You know the difference between empathy and sympathy? Empathy is I've been there. And people who are, who are stuck in their sin and their hardness of heart, this is the card they always play. Oh, well, you can't help me because you've never been there. Right? I mean, do you understand what that means? To be a good pastor, I need to have been a drug addict, a porn addict, an idolater, an adulterer seeking after prostitutes, embezzled money, hate my family, terrible father, 
fired multiple times, bankrupt multiple Like you see, the idea that we can't enter into one another's strife and bring the gospel to bear if we haven't been there is ludicrous. It's ludicrous. Now, if we can find someone who has, by all means, let the grace of God flow down. But it's ludicrous. And I say that because I'm a 38-year-old pastor, okay? I don't know what it's like to have a wayward adult child. I don't know what it's like to have a son that won't talk to me. Until recently, I didn't know what it was like to lose a parent. I don't know what it's like to have a terminal illness. I don't know what it's like to have an addiction that seems like it won't go away. I don't know what it's like to have a spouse that it seems like we can never be reconciled. It just always seems to get worse. But none of that means that I can't have the Spirit of God melt my heart to care for you and enter into your difficulty, your difficulties, and your hardships and minister the grace of God there. And by the way, we don't believe at Redeemer in a hierarchy between the pastors and the people because we're all ministers of God. Therefore, so can you. So let's not create this deal of if you've never been here, you don't understand. And if you've never been there, try hard to understand. Try hard to not be judgmental, but to understand. Sympathy flows from seeing others the way God sees others. And sympathy is a huge part of gospel ministry and gospel discipleship within the church. Soapbox finished. Third, brotherly love. Brotherly love. Peter is simply saying that we who are in Christ are part of the family of God and we share a commitment to one another that is going to last for all of eternity because Jesus has a commitment to us that's going to last for all eternity. And he's saying, let that shape the way you love one another. Have you ever been a part of a sports team or a club or a social endeavor that was just painful? Yeah? And so what do you do? You look at that and you go, six more months, I'm just going to grit my teeth, keep my mouth shut, get through it. Some of you teenagers, that may be how you're approaching school right now. I don't commend that. We can talk later about that. But you know, if you know something's temporary, you can take this mindset of I'm just going to grit my teeth, keep my mouth shut, lay low, get through it. But if we think rightly about the church, I'm your brother and you're my sister from now until forever. Therefore, we can't take this mindset of grit our teeth, grin, bear it, and get through it. But we are called to learn to love one another in the here and now because we will spend the forever together. A tender heart means that. It means a soft heart toward those in need. And a humble mind means willing to consider others, the thoughts and the needs of others, more important than your own. So all of you are called to to long for and pray for and seek unity of mind, 
sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, and a humble mind within the body of Christ. Why? Because Peter says so. Because the Holy Spirit says so. Because God says so. Because the world is watching. Because we need one another. Because Jesus loved us like this. And because the gospel is intended to destroy selfishness and pride. And we are called to bear the fruit of the gospel in this world. Let us seek together prayerfully, humbly, unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender hearts, and humble minds toward one another. So, a few application thoughts here. Let's be careful about erecting walls within the church. Let's be careful about creating subsets of Christians where we always put our subset above the others. Those of us who feel like we're filled with unity, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, and a humble mind, let's be sure to let those thoughts move outward. If you want to pray for me tomorrow, I appreciate it. But if you would send me a text message, let me know what you're praying for me. The power of your disposition toward me just went through the roof. If you wish that my life was not hurting so much and you wish that it wasn't so hard, I really appreciate that. But if you call me and you ask me how you can make my life better and how you can bless me today, it will mean so much more. So let's be sure to let our thoughts move outward. Third, let's be moved to repentance and pray for help with our attitudes. Let's be moved to repentance and pray for help with our attitudes. Fourth, let's not assume about others and their motives. Let's ask and serve. Let's not assume about others and their motives. Let's ask and serve. What I mean by that is, have you ever just assumed somebody was angry at you, didn't like you, written you off, all done with you, and then you sit down and you talk to them and you realize you're completely wrong? Or is that just me? Here's the reality. We're all assuming stuff about each other all the time. And the only way I know to fight false perceptions of you is to talk to you. The only way I know to fight false perceptions of what you think about me is to say, hey man, can we talk? The only way I know to fight against hardening my heart toward you is to say, hey, what's going on? Sometimes what I find is that I was 100% right, and sometimes what I find most of the time is that I was 100% wrong. So let's not assume about others and their motives. Let's ask, and let's enter into the chaos. Peter says, Christians love one another as Jesus has loved you. Final point, and this will be shorter because this is all of next week's sermon. Love your persecutors. Love your persecutors. Persecutor simply means those who want to do harm to us because we belong to Jesus. The call to manifest love in this passage is not limited to those who deserve it. It's actually broadened in the other direction. We're called to love those who are evil toward us. Peter is clearly preparing the church to suffer well. And to prepare the church to suffer well, he says this, Do 
Do not repay evil for evil. Why not? Because only God is judge. Do not repay reviling for reviling. Why not? Because only God is judge. But on the contrary, bless, that seek the eternal good of those who don't deserve anything from you, of those who desire to destroy you. He goes on to say, whoever desires to love life and see good days, hit pause, cover up the rest of that passage, insert the answer that the the culture tells us, insert the answer that suburban living tells us, insert the answer that suburban cultural Christianity tells us. Whoever wants to love life and see good days, I don't know, let him have a quiet time and have a good family and be proud of how awesome his family is and make sure that his kids have all the awesomest experiences in the world. Peter says, or actually David says, whoever wants to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Those are strong words, aren't they, friends? Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. David's tapping into this theme throughout the Scripture, highlighted most prevalently in James chapter 3, that our tongue is like the oar of our body, and it shapes where we go. And he says, watch what you say to yourself and to others. Turn away from evil. Do good toward those who are doing evil to you. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. Why? For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are open to their prayer. God is with His people. He will help us. He will change our hearts. He will mold us and He will shape us. So one thing as I conclude today that I'm, and when I say finally, I'm not being like Peter, like I really mean it, okay? One thing I'm very concerned about is the attitude of the church toward those who are not part of the church. Anybody on Facebook here? I want to see hands. This is confession time. You do know that Facebook only feeds you things that they know you'll agree with, right? Yeah, okay. I'm very concerned about the hatred, the hating disposition that we as the church at large are taking up toward people who are not in Christ. The Bible says that people who are not in Christ are dead in their sins, their hearts are hardened, they've rejected God. What more should we expect from them? What people who are far from Christ need is the gospel of Jesus and yelling and screaming and shouting condemnation and shouting terse words and hurling out all their errors is probably not what the Lord wants from us. But he says, respond to evil with good. Respond to reviling with blessing because that's exactly how Jesus treated you. And that's exactly how Jesus treated us. Friends, the early church from the days of Jesus into the mid-300s was a persecuted minority. Guess what's coming? Persecuted minority. And learning to live as a persecuted minority, being faithful to Jesus, filled with love toward one another and love toward the world, is what's next for us. 
So if we want to take this community, the thousand households that are within one mile radius of this building and make a kingdom impact, which we do, by the way, that's what we're calling all of ourselves to, filling our hearts with a disposition of eternal love, seeking eternal blessing and not a momentary victory is what Jesus wants from us. So I'm praying today that God would root that deeply in our hearts. He would root out the anger. He would root out the evil. He would root out the love of being right. He would root out the the desire to elevate above others. And we would be filled with a loving disposition toward one another and a loving disposition toward the world because that is how the kingdom of God will grow. And that's how we will experience a greater manifestation of the kingdom of God in the here and now. What I'm saying is the greatest blessing for eternity and today is to walk in God's ways. And Peter says a huge part of walking in God's ways is checking our disposition, our heart, our minds toward one another and toward the world. So I want to simply ask you for one thing today. Will you pray this prayer? God, confront me. God, break me. God, change me.